Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, I met Pierce and Diana in September of 2013. If 2013 like is ringing any bells for you, if you were in Colorado at the time, it might be due to the fact that that was the year of those floods, remember? The Pooter and the um, Big Thompson, the St. Vrain were all flooding and it was pretty crazy. Well, I met Pierce and Diana on September 13th. The flood started on the 11th. Met them on the 13th, two days into the flooding. They had cold called our church. I was at a church in in Loveland at the time. They had cold called our church. And they described themselves as a missionary worship band. And that they were just looking for church floors that they could sleep on. This was months ahead, before the flood. But they had called saying, hey, we just need a, a place to stay for the night. So my interest was peaked and I called them back and we talked for a while and it was really cool what they were doing. They were just going from place to place, sharing their testimony and leading music. So we said, come on, come, come to our church on September 13th. Who knew that there would be a flood that night? But after dodging the washed out bridges and the washed out roads, we all gathered on a rainy Friday night Pierce and Diana and their band, they were like, I mean, I was younger then, but they were really young. They were like babies, 20-somethings. But they were definitely on fire for the Lord, for doing his work. Have you met people like that? People who are just kind of contagious? That's what they were like. As they led worship and as they shared their story You know, I was just really struck by how simple it was. They simply felt called to travel where they would, follow the Lord's lead and share their story and play music. Specifically on this thing, they they called, they just looked up Christian churches in Colorado and they called them. And whoever answered the phone and whoever would be willing, they went there. They said, they said at the time, at the time, what was driving them? I asked them, what was driving you? And they said, our mission is where our feet are. Our mission field is where our feet are. We just want to be available to help others. You know, I don't remember a ton about that night. It was a good time together. You know, obviously, you know, I was touched by their story and the music they were sharing. They did come and stayed at our house after and in the morning after feeding them good coffee, they started loading up. I was kind of expecting like a very leisurely, like we were in no rush, but they loaded up. And Pierce said, how do we get to the canyon? Like, where do we go to see what the flooding's doing? I figured they just wanted to take a look and to see what had taken place. So driving up into the canyon, you know, kind of looking, it was like a war zone. You guys, did you get out and see that stuff? It was like a war zone. So we're driving up um, or 34 up into the Thompson Canyon. 
in kind of the first house that we saw where there was somebody there obviously working, they pulled in and they got out and they could just kind of walked up to the lady, introduced themselves and said, can we help? And they rolled up their sleeves and they started helping muck out this house. The homeowner was shocked, you know, probably a little suspicious, but after a few moments, like kind of recognizing, hey, these guys are really just here to help. She shrugged her shoulders and went with it. And Pierce and Diana and their team spent two days working with her, digging out her house that had about two feet of mud in it and kind of sorting and washing and cleaning valuables, kind of saving what they could. But really, they were just being with someone who needed help and they had time. It was pretty simple. I stayed in pretty close contact with those guys over the years, and slowly their opportunities began to grow and maybe look a little bit more impressive, but their impact was always the same. They began playing at larger churches and they began serving at bigger camps, but their mission remained true. They just wanted to serve where they were. In a recent conversation with Diana, I asked what kept them encouraged in those early days. And she said, the simplicity of Jesus' words. The simplicity of his words in the Gospels was a major source of encouragement and perseverance. We also had many continually occurring miracles to embrace as testimonies of God's care and provision. Our lives felt like seek first the kingdom and all these things will be provided to you. As their ministry continued to grow slowly, probably what felt like to them, they began meeting others like them and they wanted to kind of join forces. They'd meet people in a church like ours and someone would come up and say, what you guys are doing is amazing. How can I be a part of it? You know, it just kind of kept growing like that. At one point, they met another band who was doing kind of the exact same thing they were doing, and they joined forces, and they started an organization called A Jesus Mission. A Jesus Mission is now an interdenominational missionary sending agency. As God began leading like-minded folks to their concerts, and as they were meeting other on-fire Christians in their travels, they began organizing and training and providing supports and prayer coverage and really just giving them a covering as they chased after the kingdom in their own way, serving the lost and equipping the found. That became the mission statement of a Jesus mission, equipping the found, finding the lost, and uniting the mission. That became the vision that guided them and still guides them with an understanding that they were always on mission by virtue of the Holy Spirit being within them, being in their hearts. As the Jesus mission grew, they organized into a 501c3. They now have a board and all that kind of stuff. I'm on the board, so it's fun to kind of hear their stories and just provide counsel here and there as I can. But now they have over 120 missionaries in 18 countries. 
places like Indonesia, Romania, Cyprus, Kosovo, Eswati, Spain, Ukraine, many others. And as Pierce and Diana simply trusted Jesus to nurture every moment, no matter how small, every opportunity, no matter how insignificant it seemed, the fruit came in time. It didn't come overnight. It came in time. For the last year, Pierce and Diana and many of the Jesus Mission team have been serving in Romania, providing support to the Ukraine. A Jesus Mission is an internationally certified relief organization as part of being this 501c3. And so they've been given opportunity and really they've been given favor in being able to serve in that area. They've helped distribute well over a million pounds of food and necessities to those near the Russian occupation and also to refugees in transition. They, alongside of dozens of partner churches, are providing shelter and safety for hundreds of families. And in the most challenging of circumstances, they have seen the love and redemption of God impact thousands. It's amazing. They continue to faithfully say yes to each opportunity that comes their way because the kingdom in them has allowed them to flourish through lots of little yeses, through lots of little moments of saying, sure, I'll try that. I have no idea how, but I'll try it. They've never settled for good enough. And when times felt stagnant, they got on their knees and they prayed through it. Nurturing the seed that God had planted within them. They experienced faith and life from small to big. This morning, we'll be looking at two short parables as we continue in our series called The Mystery the parable of the mustard seed and of the yeast. And in the first two parables we heard in the last two weeks, we were seeing how Jesus spoke of the certain victory of the kingdom of heaven, despite its many hardships and despite its obstacles. But in these two parables, the theme shifts to the amazing growth of the kingdom, despite its humble beginnings. Today, we'll be observing the amazing growth of the kingdom despite its humble beginnings. These parables are all about waiting and trust and patience. We're so good at that, right? <laughs> We're so good at that. You know, because in these two parables, we see another important characteristic of the upside down kingdom. And I said it. It's the title of our sermon. The kingdom works from small to big. While this concept may seem natural to us, like obviously that's how children grow, that's how puppies grow. Things go from small to big, right? But everything in our culture shapes us to expect immediate dramatic results, doesn't it? And if we don't see immediate and dramatic results in whatever it is that we're putting our hand to, whatever endeavor we're starting, then we think, well, I must have got it wrong. We give up. 
Our news feeds are filled with story after story of dramatic and media success, a friend's business that grows, a lucrative investment, a radical makeover. The shock and awe of instant success is alluring, and it's good. Sometimes it comes that way. Sometimes it works that way. But, you know, when it does, it's hard. It can be hard to sustain, can't it? The kingdom of heaven is like a seed or a measure of yeast. It's imperceptible in much of its life. Much of its growth is unseen. Then seemingly overnight, you see a tree or a tenfold batch of risen dough. As we dive into our scripture this morning, let's pray. Draw close, Holy Spirit, as the scriptures are read and the word is proclaimed. Let the word of faith be on our lips and in our hearts. And let all other words slip away. May there be one voice that we hear today, the voice of truth and grace. Amen. Amen. We'll be in Matthew chapter 13. Verses 31 through 33. You're welcome to turn there. It'll be on the screens for you. Matthew 13, 31. Here is another illustration that Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and the birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Besides the obvious connection of a seed being small and a garden plant or a tree being bigger, what do we know to be true of planting a seed? It needs water. I guess like an avocado seed can just be floating in water, but typically it goes in the ground, right? You have to plant it. It must be planted and nourished in order to grow. But the other thing is, unless you're like doing an experiment or something and you've got it set up, the life of a seed is hidden. The life of a seed is hidden. Its progress and growth is unseen until it's already transformed into something different, until it's already something entirely new. You know, there's no real trick to this parable of what Jesus is saying. There's no real trick to what he was hoping to remind the people, but it certainly went against the grain of what they were expecting the kingdom of heaven to be like. Again, they were fully anticipating their Messiah and the kingdom that he was ushering in to come in and in a moment, in a, in a force, to overturn centuries, generation after generation of oppression and injustice that the Jewish people had experienced. To overnight turn the tables on their harassed lives. But that's not what Jesus was doing. He was planting seeds and tending their growth. All the time, the mustard seed was growing, 
From day to day and hour to hour, much of its growth, though, was not measurable or not seen. But when the beginning was compared to the end, it was obvious. There's also some fun hyperbole in this story. Because even in the Palestine Hills, the mustard tree was not the largest of trees. You can look at it. It's, I mean, it's large enough. You can get a nest in there, I suppose, if you're birds. But then there's the famous cedars of Lebanon, right? Towering trees. I mean, so people understood what Jesus was saying here. And he probably had a twinkle in his eye as he played on the popular image because really the tree was a popular image drawn from the Old Testament. And it was an image that reflected mighty political kingdoms. The kingdom was the trunk and all the branches were, you know, the various areas that this kingdom reached. The kingdom was a common metaphor for an expansive empire. Those hearing would have immediately made associations to the Roman occupation of Jerusalem and the ruling over the region at the time. Rome was the trunk and all of these people were the subjugated branches, the cities and the peoples that made up the empire. But again, Jesus was reminding his followers that he was not there to set up another political kingdom, but a kingdom that would all the same become life-giving and supporting all who needed to find rest in its branches. Jesus implies that the kingdom will be made up of many branches, like the church is made up of many parts. Will we trust the gardener to nurture his kingdom and its presence in our lives, like we saw with Pierce and Diana. Shaping us into people, but also churches that provide healing and sanctuary and belonging for one another. I think that's our heart. I feel like you guys are on board with that. But sometimes, if you're like me, you can kind of get frustrated with the progress. Like, why isn't something bigger happening? Can we trust the process? We must faithfully embrace small beginnings and often overlooked work of the kingdom in and around us. I'm going to be giving some quotes today because I was good, doing some good reading this week, some good stuff. William Barclay has a book on the parables. And he says, it's characteristic of our age that we want to see things happen in the flash of an eye. But very seldom do great things happen that way. Very seldom do great things happen that way. Our lives are measured in many small, seemingly mundane moments. But will we say our mission field is where our feet are? Sometimes we just feel like we're in a holding pattern. We're just waiting. This job won't last, so I might as well just not commit. Or this season won't last, so let's just make it through.
Our friend N.T. Wright says, we wait with patience, not like people in a dark room wondering if anyone will ever come and light the candle, but we wait like people in the early morning who know that the sun has risen and we're now awaiting the full brightness of day. I like that. Do we trust the gardener to care for and nurture the seed of the kingdom that's in and around us? And what of the yeast? I think there again is a pretty basic, pretty simple idea, but it's incredibly important what Jesus is saying here. Yeast or leaven we know is an inner influence. You don't bake the bread and then sprinkle the yeast on and poof. The yeast has to go in early and it has to be under the right conditions. And if treated properly, it will grow. Side note, a measure of flour is 50 pounds in this context. That's 150 pounds. Like this lady who put a little yeast in, what was she doing? Like, she just blew 150 pounds of flour up into how, I, I don't know, enough to feed an army. Maybe that's what she's doing. Leaven is an inner influence. Yeast is an inner influence, changing us from the inside out. You know, when we have external flaws, external damage, it's, easy, it's tempting to just say, I got to just fix that. I got to fix this habit, or I got to fix this thing. But we must realize that true transformation takes time and it works from the inside out, right? Remember that in scripture, also yeast, every other story except for this one, anytime yeast is brought up, it's in association with like negative, a negative thing, it's corrupting. Like every other time scripture mentions yeast, it's corrupting. And this time Jesus is using it in a positive light. But the activity of the yeast doesn't, doesn't change. It does the same thing. I don't know if that idea kind of is off-putting to you, but the kingdom of heaven in you is corrupting you into its likeness. The way leaven works under the surface, promoting growth and manipulation, I think this beautifully depicts the redemptive influence of the kingdom and what it has on our lives, even and most especially when they are dormant. Dough without yeast will remain the same. It'll never change until it's ruined and thrown out. But when yeast is introduced into the dough, an invisible transformation process begins. It starts slowly and invisibly, but in time, the results are pretty astounding, right? You've seen like when you put the, yeast, the dough in the fridge, maybe overnight, and you wake up in the morning and oof. When the kingdom is at work as an influence in our lives, we're beautifully changed from the inside out. Our outer scars and our outer flaws are not mended immediately, maybe, not right away. Rather, our hearts and our minds are beginning to be shaped, beginning to be formed. And then the external growth, then the external changes start making their way to the surface.
We've all heard kind of the idea of the compound effect. Have you heard this term? The butterfly effect. One butterfly flaps its wings and it. So the compound effect or the butterfly effect says that one minuscule, seemingly unobservable action kind of compounds and repeats and doubles and compounds and repeats and doubles until the effect is visible and obvious and potentially like life-changing, shattering. The thing I'm blown away about with Pierce and Diana's story is how this amazing ministry that has global impact now was built one tiny decision at a time. And it started with one couple saying, hey, let's go speak at churches around us. Hey, let's take our friends and let's turn it into a band and we can like play music. And then let's call all the churches in Colorado and see what happens. Just one little thing at a time. One simple day of helping someone clean out from a flood. One simple yes of visiting a church and telling their story. You know what? The thing they didn't do was give up when it was hard. On that very same weekend that I first met them, you know, they were driving minivans, like these rickety old Toyota Sienna or something. And they were driving up into the canyon on these obviously flooded roads, but also the dirt roads. And they got their, they got in trouble. They got their car stuck. They got it high centered. It messed up the differential. Anyway, they had no money. So they started calling and they started praying and yeah, shortly, one thing after another, money showed up in their accounts and they were able to get their car fixed. Again, one of those little obvious signs of provision the Lord was looking out for them. But it could have been easy to say, hey, let's give up. Let's limp home and just call it a day. They never settled for dormancy in their faith. They never allowed the kingdom in them or around them to become dormant. They kept pushing. The point is this. As the seed and as with the yeast, dormancy is not an option. Because dormancy means it's dead. The yeast is no longer good. The seed is dead. There should be growth. There should be one small perceptible growth after another even if it's taking place in a season that seems hidden or unseen. Now I get it. You know, this is hard for me too because we all experience moments when we feel dormant, when we feel dry, when we just feel like we're not getting anything out of life or the scripture we're reading or whatever. If anything, it may feel in these times like something's wrong. I must have made a mistake. My faith is slipping. Our faith falters. But we have a simple choice in those seasons. Where will we turn for the comfort and support that we desire? Where will we come? Where will we turn to get out of the rut? Will we just turn to comfort and safety and 
entertainment and the logic of the world, or will we seek the peace and endurance and wisdom of the kingdom? Will our source for help come from within or come from outside? Books, podcasts, influencers, coaches poised to help us reach our full potential? Or will our source be the inner work of God in our souls, igniting and inspiring scripture and prayer and books and podcasts and coaches and influencers? Don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with these folks and these sources. I use them all the time. The danger is when that's our only experience with God. The question is, are you developing a personal inner history, a personal inner story with God? Maybe it's hidden, maybe it's quiet, but do you have that? Are you nurturing that? You see what I'm saying? The, the irony is not lost on me because we're all gathered in this place and I'm here preaching to you and you're listening to it. <laughs> you know, but the question is, what comes next? Do you move on into the next podcast or the next activity or do you let God water the seed that you're hearing pushing through the hard time as you see your faith grow. Small to big, simple to complex, inner growth resulting in outward transformation. Will we trust the gardener? You know, a, a quick aside, but it's not an aside, it's good. But remember a couple weeks ago when we were hearing about the parable of the soils, the second soil that Jesus was talking about is the exact thing that he's warning us against in this flash of growth, big success right away. That's the second soil. He said other seeds fell on the rocky ground and they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. This is, this is the exact danger of chasing after dramatic explosive growth in our lives. The growth that we see idolized around us. Whether it be our faith or some other aspect of our lives. You know, in Israel and Palestine, you know, the area where Jesus is telling these stories. Obviously, we know this. It's a very arid, dry, tough environment. Rain is infrequent. But there is a rainy season. And as Jesus was describing that second soil, people were probably picturing this. You know, when the seasonal rains did come, the entire area blew up like a garden. It was green and lush, amazing for a couple of days. And then 99% of it died out because it had no root. But meanwhile, likewise, in this area, there's places where there's deep underground wells, there's deep underground rivers, there's underground sources of life. In these places, even throughout the rain and without the rain, when the rain was there and when the rain wasn't, these places were the oases that people looked at 
for their beauty and for their life. It was an oasis, a place of perpetual beauty and life. We must be mindful of where we're planted and embrace the slow, measured growth if we hope to stay the course. One more book recommendation today. Uh, Emily P. Freeman has a book called Simply Tuesday, Small Moment Living in a Fast-Moving World. She says this, most of life happens not in brightness or in darkness, but in the medium lights of a regular day. And all those daily activities like the email inbox, the cluttered surfaces, the bag of old clothes, the deadlines, the appointments, they aren't to be set aside by those whose hope is to live a faithful life. Rather, they should be embraced. We should embrace all of these things and make them part of what makes a faithful life. There's no single way that the kingdom needs to look in you, in me. We simply must be mindful of where we're planted and trusting the Lord to nurture what he's put in our lives. And then we'll see the compound effect, the butterfly effect of what that faithfulness over time does. You know, I asked Diana one final question earlier this week. I asked, do you have like one simple statement to encourage people who may be frustrated by the small beginnings of their faith? And here's her response. I'll just quote it for you. Just remember that we do not see and judge by what God sees and judges. That's 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Just remember, we do not see and judge by what God sees and judges. My encouragement for anyone who wants to live their life for God is to just do it. Just live for God. To be with him always. And to trust him to bring fullness to your life along the way. God is our prize. Ministry is filling the needs of others. And God can best see and judge when and how that ought to happen. Just seek him. Trust him. Live obediently with him. You won't forget it. You won't regret it. Well, let's pray. Lord God, um, we thank you for this simple, but Lord, admittedly big challenge. God, we confess that at times we have sought sources outside of you to satisfy and sustain us. God, we admit that times we've planted ourselves in places that were not life-giving. And God, we oftentimes feel impatient with the progress that we're making and the progress that we're experiencing in your kingdom around us. 
God, help us with our unbelief. And Lord, help us to trust you, the gardener, to care for and nurture the kingdom in and around us. Church, just in a moment, I, I guess I invite you into just kind of doing a little mental exercise as we remain in prayer. We just want to picture maybe the small things that we've heard from the Lord, the small promises, the small um, things that we felt like he, he gave to us, the things that he felt that he encouraged us to go after, to chase after, and maybe we haven't seen the growth we expected. I invite you to just kind of keep, pull that to mind, that promise, that hope. And let's just hold that before the Lord and tell him we trust him with it to help us be faithful to nurture it.